You're listening to Qalam Institute's podcast series, Sirah, Life of the Prophet, peace be upon him. Qalam is pleased to announce the Khatib Training Workshop. Find out more at khatibworkshop.com. That's K-H-A-T-E-E-B workshop.com. Bismillahi walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een. So continuing on with our series on the life of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, Asiratu Nabawiya. In the previous couple of sessions, actually, we were talking about the major event that occurred uh, during the mid 30s of the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, when he was about 35 years old, as is mentioned by the vast majority of the scholars of Sirah. There was a renovation of the Kaaba, a reconstruction of Baytullah. And that was one of the major events and occurrences during the life of the Prophet ﷺ, particularly during his middle-aged years, around the age of 35. After the reconstruction, the renovation of the Kaaba, which again, the Prophet ﷺ is in his mid-30s, we are now at this point literally just a few years away from the beginning of Revelation. At this point in time, typically the scholars in the books of Sirah, what they mention and what they discuss at this point from the life of the Prophet ﷺ is because this major event of the beginning of Revelation, or rather the beginning of the revelation of the Qur'an, the beginning of the revelation to Muhammad Rasulullah but another way to view the beginning of revelation of the Qur'an is the continuation or the reinitiation of divine revelation in general. Because you have to remember the Prophet of Allah is the completion, not just the continuation, but the completion of the message and the guidance of Allah. Which means that you know, the, the revelation is something, divine revelation is something that had been going on for centuries, for generations, with the prophets and the messengers of the past. And Muhammad Rasulullah was not just a continuation of that message and of prophethood, but he was the seal of prophethood. So therefore, he was the completion of Nubuwa, the completion of the message, and the completion of wahi and divine revelation. But what that also means, as I'm saying, is that the prophets of the past had received this message, and now something very interesting. The Prophet of Allah wasallam, in many narrations, he alludes to the large gap that had occurred between the prophethood of Isa salam and the prophethood of Muhammad Rasulullah And by many of the scholars uh, of history and of the Qur'an and Sunnah of Hadith, they say that one of the largest gaps that occurred between two prophets was probably between Isa salam and Muhammad Rasulullah This is alluded to in the Qur'an as well. That so that this message was sent to you so that you could warn a people that their forefathers had not been warned before you and before them and that's why you find these people so aloof you find them so apathetic you find them so astray and so deviated from the course heedless this is why because not only had these people never received a message before you but their forefathers generations upon generations centuries upon centuries of their forefathers had not received the message 600 years had passed since the message had not been sent to these people and that's why you find these people in the condition and the state that you find them in today 
So it's very important to also understand that that when the message of the Prophet ﷺ, the, the divine revelation to Rasulullah ﷺ is beginning, that's an event in and of itself. But along with that, what you also have to understand is that it's going to be the very first time in six centuries that the message of Allah is being revealed down to this earth. That a Prophet of Allah, guided by Allah, will be walking this earth. It's been six centuries since that has happened. So it's a very, very important event. Now, because of that, now before we talk about the actual, you know, and even then, we're, before we even talk about the beginning of Badul Wahi, the beginning of Revelation, we're actually probably in the next session, we're going to talk about the Prophet of Allah developing the habit in the year, year and a half, almost two years before the revelation was before the revelation began, before Iqra Khalaq, in the year and a half to two years before that, the Prophet of Allah developed the habit of going up to the cave of Hira, taking out days at a time, and as the day of Iqra became closer and closer, the Prophet slowly started to increase the time that he would spend up there in the cave of Hira, as if in anticipation of something, that something was very close, he was on the brink of something. And <clears throat> to the point where it became weeks at a time. Where eventually, and we'll talk about the narration, where Khadija radiallahu anha eventually became so concerned. She knew how much provision, how much food the Prophet had taken up with him. And the number of days had passed that would, you know, uh, that would suffice. That, uh, you know, the number of days had passed for, for the amount of food that he had taken. To the point where Khadija radiallahu anha decided to pack food and take it up to him. So we'll be talking about that in detail, why the Prophet was going, what he was doing when he was going, and how long he continued this practice, and what exactly he was getting out of this particular practice, which is referred to in the books of Sirah, in the books of Hadith as At-Tahannuth. And we'll talk more about that inshallah in the following session. But in the few years leading up to it, one of the things that is very specifically mentioned by the scholars of Sirah is one established fact, and a brother brought this to my attention as well, that this is a question a lot of people have. An established fact is that there was some prophecy. There was some prophecy that was present, particularly amongst the people of the scripture, the people of the books, the Ahlul Kitab. The more knowledgeable amongst the Ahlul Kitab, the more honest and trustworthy amongst the Ahlul Kitab, there were certain narrations, certain um, mentions of the Prophet of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam of Muhammad Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi that were present amongst those people. Now one question that is often presented and a brother brought it to my attention that but if these narrations or these scriptures and this word was kind of out there then why would it be so shocking to the people of Makkah that the Prophet was claiming Nubu'a, claiming prophethood? Then why wouldn't more people believe? Then everybody would expect it, everybody would be anticipating, everybody would be okay with it. Then what would be the problem? Well, the, the answer to that question is actually in studying this subject in a little more depth. What you, when you study it, when you read it more properly, what you realize and find out is, yes, there was some scripture out there. And there were some of the scholars of the scripture, the Jews and the Christians, who knew of some prophecies and were mentioning about the prophet of the last time coming and his, his arrival becoming very near and very close. His, his da'wah and his message, they were very close to his message and his da'wah, you know, about to be revealed. 
But at the same time, these individuals who knew of this, who believed in this, who mentioned this, were very, very few in number. Extremely rare. To the point where there was not more than a handful of individuals with knowledge of this fact. And were actually actively talking about it. And they were typically being written off as crazy people. Like if there's thousands of Christian priests, and you only have a couple of them who talk about this prophet of the last times coming, they tended to be the ones who were a little more honest and trustworthy to begin with. So they were already considered to be on the fringe. They were weird. They didn't belong to the general fraternity of priests. And so typically they weren't listened to. And they themselves were very reclusive in nature because they were biding their time waiting for the prophet of the last time to arrive so that they could go to him and they could accept this. They could basically uh, pledge their allegiance and give an oath of allegiance to him and believe in that prophet and be amongst the followers of that prophet of the last times. So they were very reclusive in nature. Plus they didn't belong to the general fraternity of priests or rabbis. So they weren't very publicly accepted, they weren't very popular, they weren't very famous to begin with. So that's kind of the explanation as to, yes, there was certain mention of the Prophet ﷺ, but it wasn't very publicly known, it wasn't very public knowledge. And even if these people with the knowledge or the prophet's knowledge of the prophecy of this Prophet of the last times arriving and coming, then they weren't listened to, then they weren't generally accepted by the common populace. Alright, so that's kind of the explanation as to, yes, these narrations were there, these prophecies were there, but they were not accepted by the general mass public, and why that exactly happened and why that exactly occurred. Ibn Kathir, Ibn Ishaq, Ibn Hisham, and many of the other classical scholars of Sirah, they talk about, you know, Imam al-Bayhaqi, uh, Abu Nu'aym in his Kitab al-Dala'il, Imam al-Bayhaqi in his book Dala'il al-Nubu'a, Imam al-Bayhaqi in his Kitab al-Dala'il, they all mention these narrations. In fact, Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal has an entire chapter in his Musnad in which he talks about many of these narrations. So I'm going to be mentioning some of these because as the time of the Prophet's revelation was arriving, as the day of Iqra was coming near and near and closer and closer that the the fervor amongst these few individuals continued to grow and their chatter began to increase and their anticipation continued to grow because that day was coming closer and closer Ibn Ishaq rahimahullah in his book of Sirah he mentions that there were many of the rabbis from amongst the Jews there were a few of them who had this knowledge and read from the scripture and were very open about the fact that this prophet of the last time was coming and they began to mention it there were some priests amongst the Christians some monks amongst the Christians who were talking about this and this is something that the Quran corroborates that in Surah Al-A'raf in ayah number 157 Allah says that the people who will follow the prophet who was unlettered that they will find him written, meaning they will find him mentioned both in the Torah and the Injil. That they'll find his mention there. 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, of course, in Surah Al-Saf, in ayah number 6, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about Isa alayhi salam foretelling the coming of the Prophet Israel, When Isa alayhi salam said, O oh, children of Israel, إِنِّي رَسُولُ اللَّهِ إِلَيْكُمْ مُصَدِّقًا لِمَا بَيْنَ يَدَيَّ مِنَ التَّوْرَةِ وَمُبَشِّرًا بِرَسُولٍ يَأْتِي مِن بَعْدِهِ إِسْمُهُ أَحْمَدٍ يَأْتِي مِن بَعْدِهِ إِسْمُهُ أَحْمَدٍ That when Isa alayhi salam said, O oh, children of Israel, I am a messenger of God who, have, who has been sent to you, and I attest to that which is before me from the Torah, meaning I confirm the Torah to you, and I'm also foretelling you, giving you the prophecy, giving you the good news, congratulating you of a prophet who will come after me, and his name will be Ahmad. And if you go back and listen to the previous sessions that we've conducted here, you'll remember that one of the names given to the Prophet ﷺ at the time of his birth was the name Ahmad. In fact, the mother of the Prophet ﷺ, Amina, Ummu Rasulillahi wasallam was actually fond of calling the Prophet ﷺ by the name Ahmad. That she herself used to refer to him as Ahmad, and that's why many of the family members of the Prophet ﷺ would continue to call him Ahmad and would refer to him as Ahmad because that was the name that the mother of the Prophet ﷺ used to call him. And that's why Ummu Ayman Baraka, the woman who cared for the Prophet ﷺ, was one of the foster mothers of the Prophet ﷺ years after the prophethood of the, the prophethood began even into the years of Medina. It was noted by the Sahaba radiallahu anhum that when Ummu Ayman Baraka, when she would speak to the Prophet, she would of course address him with respect, Ya Rasulullah, but oftentimes lovingly she would call the Prophet Ahmad because of the habit of the mother of the Prophet. You know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al Fatih. Ayah number 29, at the end of Surah Al-Fatih, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Muhammad Rasulullah, Muhammad is the Messenger of Allah. وَالَّذِينَ مَعَهُ أَشِدَّاءُ عَلَى الْكُفَّارِ رُحَمَاءُ بَيْنَهُمْ تَرَاهُمْ رُكَّعًا سُجَّدًا يَبْتَغُونَ فَضْلًا مِنَ اللَّهِ وَرِضْوَانًا That Allah speaks about the companions of the Prophet ﷺ, that the people that are with him are very, the, the, the people, وَالَّذِينَ مَعَهُ The people that are with him are very harsh against the disbelievers, very merciful and compassionate amongst one another. You'll see them performing ruku and doing sujood and they want they seek from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala his pleasure and his blessing see mahum fi wujuhihim min athari sujood you'll see their signs on their faces from the effects of performing sujood before Allah prostrating before Allah and then very interestingly Allah says that is the same description that has been given for them in the Torah and the same description that has been provided about them in the Injil as well. And yet again another place in the Quran in Surah Ali Imran in ayah number 81 and this is very interesting. Allah says, That Allah took a covenant from the prophets, all the prophets, that if ever a book comes to you and wisdom comes to you, and or, or rather when the book has been given to you and wisdom, knowledge has been given to you, then after that a messenger comes to you. Meaning if you have been given prophethood, and if a prophet was to follow after you, if a prophet was to come after you, مُصَدِّقٌ لِمَا مَعَكُمْ And he confirms that which has been revealed to you, Then you will believe in him, you must believe in him. وَلَتَنْصُرُنَّ And you must aid him and support him in the mission, in the cause. 
قال أأقررتم وأخذتم على ذلك مصري قالوا وقررنا then of course Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes that covenant and that oath with him and they, they confirm they said yes we have قال فاشهدوا وأنا معكم من الشاهدين and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes him a witness to this covenant so the prophets of the past were all told that a prophet will come and follow after you and you must believe in him and you must attest to his prophethood and you must support him in his cause and his, in his mission and that's why Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma uh, narrates that the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi even corroborates this. And he says, مَا بَعَثَ اللَّهُ نَبِيًّا إِلَّا أَخَذَ عَلَيْهِ الْمِيثَاقِ Whenever Allah sent a Prophet, he took a covenant from him. لَإِن بُعِثَ مُحَمَّدٌ وَهُوَ حَيٌّ لَيُؤْمِنَنَّ بِهِ وَلَيَنْصُرُنَّهِ That if Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would be sent after that Prophet, they would have to believe in the Prophet of Allah, Muhammad Rasulullah, and they would have to aid Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And even Ibrahim alayhi salam in Surah Al-Baqarah, we know that he made dua, Rabbana wa ba'ath fihim rasulam minhum, yatlu alayhim ayatika, wa yu'allimuhum al-kitaba wal-hikmata wa yuzakihim. That, O oh Allah, our Lord, our Master, send amongst these people a prophet who is from them who will recite upon them your signs and who will teach them your book and who will teach them the wisdom and who will purify them and that's why in the Musnad of Imam Ahmad, Imam Ahmad brings a narration and a hadith from Abu Umama radiallahu anhu who says, Qultu ya Rasulullah, ma kanu badu amrika. O Messenger of Allah, how did your affair begin? Meaning what was the beginning of your story? O Prophet of Allah, what is the beginning of your story? And the Prophet of Allah responds by saying, Da'watu Abi Ibrahim. Da'watu Abi Ibrahim. That I am the dua of my forefather Ibrahim. Meaning that my story began by my forefather Ibrahim making dua for me. Making, making dua that a Prophet be sent amongst the people. Wa Bushra Isa. And I am the good news that Isa delivered. وَرَأَتْ أُمِّي أَنَّهُ يَخْرُجُ مِنْهَا نُورٌ أَضَاءَتْ لَهُ قُصُورُ الشَّامِ And that my, my, my mother saw a light, a nur, a force emanating from her, illuminated from her, and that it illuminated the world as far as the palaces of Rome, or the palaces of Syria, الشام, بلاد الشام. So the Prophet of Allah also speaks to this fact and he alludes to this. Imam Ahmad also brings another narration in which the Prophet of Allah is narrated by Irbad bin Sariya radiallahu anhu. He says that the Prophet of Allah said, Inni Abdullah, I am the slave of Allah. Wa khatamun nabiyin, and I am the seal of all the Prophets. Wa inna Adam lamundalijun fi tlinatihi. And that Adam alayhi salam was in between, was basically in the process of his formation. Adam alayhi salam was in the process of his formation. Adam alayhi salam hadn't even been formed yet. And at that point in time, I had already been made a prophet by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I was appointed as the seal of the prophets. And let me tell you about the beginning of the story. Da'watu Abi Ibrahim, the dua of my forefather Ibrahim. B and Isa alayhi salam giving the good news of my coming and the dream that my mother had seen. 
And it's something very interesting that this narration mentions. The Prophet of Allah says that all the Prophets of Allah, all the Prophets of Allah who were given birth to by a woman, their mothers would always see the same dream that my mother had seen. All their mothers would see in their dream that they were told that they were about to give birth to somebody very special and very unique. Yet again, it's mentioned by Imam Ahmad in that same chapter in his Musnad that Imam Ahmad says, narrated by Maysara al Fajr, O Prophet of Allah, when were you made a Prophet? When were you given Prophethood? When were you a Prophet, a Nabi? That I was a Prophet when Adam was in between being a, just a soul and in between his body. Meaning even before the soul was breathed into the body of Adam salam, I was already a Prophet at that time. Yet in another narration it's mentioned that Abu Salima from narrates from Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu, Su'ila Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Mata wajabat laka nubuwa. That, O Messenger of Allah, when was prophethood decreed for you? When was it decided and decreed that you would be a prophet of Allah? The Prophet of Allah sallallahu says, Bayna khalqi Adam wa nafqi ruhi fihi. Between the time that Adam salam was formed into his physical form and the soul was breathed into Adam salam, in between that time it was already decreed and decided. So before mankind was created, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had already decreed and written that Muhammad Rasulullah would come at the end of prophethood. He would come at the end of times that he would be the finality of prophethood from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So these are all narrations that even reach to us from the Prophet of Allah ﷺ. And the purpose of mentioning all of this is to simply explain the fact that just as the Prophet of Allah ﷺ is explaining this, all the Prophets of Allah similarly spoke about this final Prophet that was to come. The seal of prophethood and messengerhood who was to come, Muhammad Rasulullah They all spoke about him, they all foretold of him, and they all informed us of him. And they informed rather his followers of him. So there's no doubt about the fact that some of these narrations had, had remained behind and were still preserved until the coming of the Prophet of Allah and so as this time came closer and closer, their anticipation continued to grow and they continued to inform their followers and their trusted students that the time is arriving of the coming of this Prophet of the last times. So much so that it also mentions that some of the Kuhan, some of the Kuhan, Right, which Araf, the Kuhan, which, which basically refers to soothsayers or fortune tellers. That even they became a bit curious and they started to feel that something was up. And the reason for that is that we know that the message of the Prophet ﷺ was also sent to not just the human beings but also to the jinn. Surah Al-Jinn speaks about this. Right? That the jinn even came and they heard and they listened to the message from the Prophet of Allah and they said that we've heard a very interesting, a very amazing, a mind-blowing Qur'an that we've heard. 
All right? And many different ways. صَرَفْنَا إِلَيْكَ نَفْرًا مِنَ الْجِنِّ يَسْتَمِعُونَ الْقُرْآنِ فَلَمَّا حَضَرُوهُ قَالُوا أَنْصِتُوهُ فَلَمَّا قُضِيَ وَلَّوْا إِلَى قَوْمِهِمْ مُنْذِرِينَ قَالُوا يَا قَوْمَنَا إِنَّا سَمِعْنَا كِتَابًا أُنْزِلَ مِنْ بَعْدِ مُوسَى مُصَدِّقًا لِمَا بَيْنَ يَدَيْهِ يَهْدِي إِلَى الْحَقِّ وَإِلَى طَرِيقٍ مُسْتَقِيمٍ In Surah Al-Ahqaf it mentions as well about the jinn coming to the Prophet ﷺ, hearing the message of the Qur'an, then turning back to a gathering in a group of the jinn and telling them that we've heard an amazing Qur'an, the same type of message that was sent to Musa salam, and it confirms all the previous message of all the previous prophets and it guides to the truth and it guides to the straight path, so believe in it. So this message was also sent to the jinn. But there's something very interesting here. The jinn, just like amongst human beings there are good and there are bad, amongst the jinn there are good bad. Right, there are good jinn and there are bad jinn. Now some of the bad jinn, what they're up to or what they you know, continue to try to do, particularly before the message of the Prophet ﷺ, before Iqra, before the revelation of the Qur'an began, one very specific bad thing that the jinns would be up to, the bad jinns rather, what they would be up to is that they would go and sneak and try to steal, literally it's called istiraqu sama'a, they would try to eavesdrop on the conversation of the malaika and the angels and on the talk that was going on in the heavens. And they would bring this talk down and deliver it to the soothsayers and the fortune tellers who would go into these very bad, nefarious relationships um, into these jinn, the, what are called the shayateen, the evil jinn. And they would enter into these relationships with them. These jinn, the shayateen, would give them what they had heard. These soothsayers would then use a little bit of this information to try to trick and deceive people into believing what they were saying. And they would corrupt the faith of the people. So this was a standard practice before, Prophet, before the message of the Prophet ﷺ, before the revelation of the Qur'an. Some narrations speak about when the birth of the Prophet ﷺ occurred, at that time that this was finished. Some narrations say that no, this actually stopped prior to the beginning of the revelation of the Qur'an. In any case, in either scenario, the soothsayers and the fortune tellers noticed something had changed. The shayateen were not bringing to them the information that they used to. Some books of history even talk about the fact that some of the people who were called the Nujumiyun, like as, not, not astronomers, but rather astrologers, people that would try to, would basically try to des- derive some type of faith and fortune telling from the position of the stars. So they would study the position of the stars. They started to notice a frequency of what we call shooting stars. Because it talks about al-Najmuthaqib, rujum al-Shayateen. These shooting stars being used as a weapon against the shayateen. The angels and the malaika would use them as literally like fireballs that they would launch at the shayateen and try to scare them and shoo them away. And so they noticed a greater frequency of these types of shooting stars. And they actually spoke about this amongst each other that, have you seen this? They were like, what are you talking about? And then they actually looked and they noticed this. And it also happened to coincide with them not receiving news from the shayateen anymore. And they realized something's up. Something's about to happen. Something big, we're on the brink of something huge. Otherwise, things would not change this drastically. So you have the scripture Speaking about the coming of the Prophet ﷺ, there's many different narrations which talk about this. There's uh, a narration, a little narration which mentions about one great Jewish worshiper who was a knowledge, who had a lot of knowledge of ancient scripture. 
Abu, I believe his name is Hayaban. He was known as Abu Hayaban. He arrived in the city of Yathrib, which would later become the city of Medina. But he was from the Bilad of Sham. He was from that, that area that was known as Sham, which was a lot nicer of an area. It was a lot more well-to-do. It, it had nicer weather. All of these different things. And he came and he arrived in the city of Yathrib, later Medina, and he took up residence there. And the other Jewish tribes knew about him arriving there, but they knew he was very reclusive in nature, so they would leave him alone. But remember, the people of Yathrib, the people of Medina were farmers. Their primary means of sustenance or their, their, their business, their industry was agriculture. And they were being afflicted by famine and drought. So they, whenever it wouldn't rain for an extended period of time, they would go to Abu Hayyaban and they would ask him to pray for rain. And no sooner than he would pray for rain, then rain would come. And so the people obviously, the Jewish tribes realized that there was something special about him. And so it said that when he was nearing his death, when he was on his deathbed, and some people came to meet him or he called for some people to him, and he actually spoke to them and he said, doesn't it make you curious? Why I would leave the beautiful hills of Asham and the wonderful weather and the beautiful hills and the pleasant lifestyle and I would come and live here in the middle of the desert in your terrible city because before the Prophet ﷺ migrated to Medina and that's a story that we'll talk about later in the seerah but this area of Yathrib wasn't a very um, it wasn't a place where you wanted to go and live like people didn't want to move to Yathrib. It wasn't a very sought out after area. It wasn't a very desirable place to live. And so he's like, doesn't, doesn't, aren't you somewhat curious why I would leave such a beautiful place and come live here in your terrible city? It doesn't rain here enough. There's a lot of disease here. You know, the weather is kind of rough. Why would I come and live here in my old age especially? That's where you retire. Why would I come and live here? Aren't you somewhat curious about that? And they're like, yeah, why did you come here? And he said, I came here because from the scriptures that I've read and that I've been taught, I was told that a prophet is coming. There will be a prophet of the last times. He will be the seal of prophethood. And this is the place where he will migrate to. He will make hijrah to. So I came here in, his, in anticipation of his arrival. And I was hoping, I hoped from Allah, from God, that I would get to live to see the day that he would come. And I would believe in him. And I would follow him. And I would hold, you know, I, I would place my hands in his hand. But alas, I'm dying and that day hasn't come. So if you live till that day, make sure that you believe in him and you follow him. And so there are many different stories which speak about incidents and situations like this. Coming uh, and telling of the foretelling of the coming of the Prophet of Allah Wasallam. There's... Another narration which talks about, there's an ayah of the Qur'an that actually speaks about this in Surah Al-Baqarah, ayah number 89, Allah says, That when a book came to them from Allah, and it was confirming that which they already had, And even before this book and this Prophet came, they used to go to the people of disbelief. The people of Kufr, the people that did not believe in the prophets in the books of the past. 
That these people who believed in the prophets in the books of the past, they used to say to the people who did not believe in the prophets in the books of the past, They used to tell them that we will join up with this prophet that is yet to come, that is about to come, and we will defeat you. We will join forces with that prophet that is coming and we will defeat you by joining forces with that prophet that is yet to come. فَلَمَّا جَاءَهُمْ مَا عَرَفُوا كَفَرُوا بِهِ فَلَمَّا جَاءَهُمْ مَا عَرَفُوا كَفَرُوا بِهِ And then when that finally came to them, what they recognized, when that same prophet came to them that they used to talk about, when that same scripture in that book, that Qur'an came to them that they used to speak about, كَفَرُوا بِهِ They disbelieved in it. فَلَعَنَةُ اللَّهِ عَلَى الْكَافِرِينَ And Allah says the curse of Allah is upon those people who disbelieve after knowing and after recognizing and after realizing they still disbelieve. And there are many such narrations which talk about these types of situations. Imam al-Bayhaqi and the different scholars, they mention this. Ibn Abbas mentions, كَانَتِ الْيَهُودِ بِخَيْبَرِ تُقَاتِ الْغَطْفَانِ That the Yahud that lived at the place of Khaybar they, they were at war with the tribes of Ghatfan. So whenever they used to meet, they used to actually make dua, and they would pray to Allah, and they used to often be defeated by the tribes of Ghatfan. So it said that they used to make dua to Allah whenever they would meet these tribes of Ghatfan in the battlefield, and they would say, Oh Allah, we ask you, Oh Allah, the Lord of the Prophet that will be coming in the last times, we ask you to grant us victory. Whenever they would make dua like this, that they would actually achieve victory. Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhumah, he speaks about this. Ibn Ishaq mentions that Salma ibn Salama, who was from the Ahl of Badr, who was a Badri Sahabi, he says that he was a Badri Sahabi, but he was from the Ansar. So he grew up in Medina, in Yathrib pre-Islamic Medina. He grew up there. He said, we had a neighbor who was Jewish. He belonged to the tribe of Banu Abdul Ashhal. He was a Jewish man that belonged to the tribe of Banu Abdul Ashhal. And he said that he, he one day came out of his home and he says, I was very, very young at that time. And he came and he sat down next to us and I was sitting there as well. And he remembers. He says, I still remember Aliya Burda. I was covered with a shawl. I was like a little boy sitting on like the porch of my house. And my family members were sitting around. And I was wrapped up in a shawl and a blanket. And I was sitting there. And he came and he stood near us. فَذَكَرَ لَنَا الْقِيَامَةِ وَالْبَعَثِ وَالْحِسَابِ وَالْمِيزَانِ وَالْجَنَّةِ وَالنَّارِ And he told us about the hereafter. He told us about the day of judgment, resurrection. He told us about accounting and reckoning. He told us about the scales of the deeds. He told us about paradise. He told us about the fire of hell. He told us about all of this. And he was saying all of this to people, to us, who are mushrikun, who we used to worship idols. We didn't believe in any of this stuff. We didn't even believe that there was life after death. So he said, we start, the people, the family member said to him, They were like, what's wrong with you, man? What's wrong with you? Are you stupid or something? Like seriously, bro? 
Like, are you okay? You actually believe in this stuff? You believe in this nonsense? You actually think there's life after death? And that there'll be paradise and there'll be hell and people will get the rewards of their deeds? He said, Na'am, yes. And then he said something very interesting. And he said when he said yes, Na'am, then he would swear by something. I'm not sure what he used to swear by because he used to swear by God. He used to swear by Allah and he was like, he would swear. And then he always used to swear by someone. I don't remember what it was, but he used to swear by someone. And then later on, of course, he's recalling that he used to take an oath by Allah. And then he used to go on mentioning this. And then he used to tell us about not believing in the fire in the fire of hell that was a consequence of not believing. And again, the people used to say to him, Way hakaya fulan. What's wrong with you, man? Why do you keep talking about this nonsense, all these fairy tales? So they finally said, What sign do you have of this? Like, why should we believe that what you, what anything that you have to say? So he said, Nabiyun Mabuthun Min Nahwi Hadal Bilad. Nabiyun Mabuthun Min Nahwi Hadal Bilad. He said, There's a prophet who is about to come. And he's going to come from over here, this direction, this region. And Salma ibn Salama says, I remember that he used to point towards Makkah in the direction of Makkah. He said, There's a prophet that's going to come from this direction. And, and then the people said to him, He goes, What can you tell us about him? What can you tell us about him? How can you describe him? So he said, Amazingly, this man, this Jewish man, he looked at me. Salma ibn Salama says, I was, a little bo- I was a boy. He looked at me. I was the youngest amongst them. And he looked at me and he said, That if this boy continues to live, like, you know, he gets a, it's like saying like, if nothing happens to him, as long as he lives and he sees an older age, يدركه, he will see him. He's going to see him. He's going to find him. فقال سلمة, and then Salma radiallahu anhu says, فَوَاللَّهِ مَا ذَهَبَ اللَّيْلُ وَالنَّهَارِ Which is an expression. He's saying literally, some time passed. حَتَّى بَعَثَ اللَّهُ رَسُولَهُ وَهُوَ حَيٌّ بَيْنَ أَظْهُرِنَا And he said, finally that day came. And I remember that day came. That when Allah sent the Prophet ﷺ, meaning when, when, the, when that said that he sent the Prophet ﷺ, meaning he gave him prophethood. That prophethood was bestowed, divine revelation was sent to Muhammad Rasulullah Sallallahu This is where it gets very interesting. And he says that neighbor of ours, that Jewish neighbor of ours, he was still alive. The Prophet arrived and that man was still alive. And we believed in him. We believed in the Prophet And that neighbor didn't believe in him. Baghyan, out of rebelliousness, hasadan, out of hatred, envy, jealousy, animosity. He didn't believe in him out of je- jealousy. فَقُلْنَا لَهُ And he says, because I remembered that conversation, I went to him and we said to him, وَيْحَكَ يَا فُلَانَ Again, they're saying the same thing then. They said, what's wrong with you, man? What's wrong with you? Like seriously, what's up with you? أَلَسْتَ بِالَّذِي قُلْتَ لَنَا فِيهِ مَا قُلْتَ Aren't you the same guy that told us about him, about the Messenger of Allah, what you had told us about him? Like you're the one who told us about him way back in the day. 
قَالَ بَلَا He said, yep, sure. That's right. I am that same guy who told you about him. وَلَكِنْ لَيْسَ بِهِ But it wasn't this guy that I was talking about. Yes, I'm the same one that told you about the Prophet that was coming, but it wasn't this guy. Which basically means, I didn't expect it to be him. And of course, the whole, prophet, the whole problem was that the Prophet of Allah was Arab and did not belong to the Jewish tribes. And that was their problem. That was the issue that they had. But nevertheless, he says, yeah, yeah, I'm the same one who told you about the Prophet of the last times. I just didn't expect it to be him. That's not the guy I was talking about. Imam Ahmad mentions this same narration in his Musnad. Similarly, another narration that Abu Nu'aym mentions in his book, Dala'il Nubuwa, um, he actually also mentions the same story. Um, but this time he mentions the name of uh, that, that Jewish neighbor whose name was Yusha which is the name of a prophet um, that we are told about from Tafasir and from a hadith, that Yusha bin Nun, who was a prophet of Allah, that, that man, that Jewish man was named Yusha after a prophet, and he was the one that told them about him. But when the Prophet ﷺ came, he did not end up believing in the Prophet of Allah ﷺ, very unfortunately. So this was something that started to occur closer and closer to the actual beginning of revelation that these this chatter and this talk started to talk a little bit more and i wanted to end today's session by telling the story the very beautiful somewhat lengthy detailed story but i'll kind of go through this as quick as i can it's the story that is mentioned by ibn ishaq and many others it's mentioned by imam bukhari but a more abbreviated shortened version is mentioned by imam bukhari and imam muslim but the more extended narrations are mentioned by other scholars of hadith and sirah and that is the story of the acceptance of islam uh, by salman al-farisi radiallahu even though he accepts Islam much later, right immediately after the hijrah, the migration to Medina, so that story could be also be mentioned at that point in time in our discussion in the seerah, and we'll definitely bring it up at that time, but I mention it here because his story, the bulk of the story actually talks about his pre-Islamic experiences which tell us a little bit about the same dynamic, the same issue of there being few, very few rare scattered individuals who were talking about the coming of the Prophet ﷺ and were anticipating the beginning of divine revelation at the end of times upon this Prophet of the last times. So Salman al-Farsi radiallahu anhu actually talks about, he says that, Kuntu rajulan farisiyan min ahli asbahan, that I was from the people of Asbahan, who, which was a major region from these Persian regions. And he said that I belong to a town that was called Hay. Hey, it was called that, and that was the name of the little town that I belonged to. And he said, my father was the leader of our town. He was like the mayor of our town. He was the leader of our people. And he said, I was the most beloved thing to my father in this world. Kuntu ahabba khalqillahi ilayhi. I was the most beloved of Allah's creation to him. My father didn't love anything in this world more than he loved me. And he said, but because of that, لم يزل حبه إياي حتى حبسني في بيته كما تحبس الجارية. And he said that my father loved me so much that he was a little bit overprotective of me to the point where he would keep me locked up or keep me kind of huddled up inside the house, kind of like you would do with a young girl, right? Like you, like like a father is kind of paranoid about his young daughter. He said, that's how my father was with me. So he kind of, you know, was a little bit overprotective of me. And that's how I was raised. 
And he said, because of that, like, I didn't really have much else to do. I didn't have any outdoor type activity. My father would dare never let me travel or do anything else. So what I primarily used to do was I just used to worship a lot. Fil majusiya, wajtahatu fil majusiya. I used to, you know, fire worship. I just de- mostly used to dedicate myself to fire worship, which was the religion of our family and our people. So much so that it was my responsibility to keep the fire burning. It was my responsibility to not let the fire go out. And he actually talks about how he used to take cotton and kind of twist it up into these little balls. And it was his job to kind of keep dropping those little balls of cotton in there periodically, like kind of like every hour on the hour type of thing to make sure that the fire would continue burning. And that was my job and my responsibility. So much so that one day my father told me that look, and this was very difficult for him, he didn't like to send me out on tasks, but he told me that, look, somebody owes me some money. I'm supposed to pick up a payment from somewhere. I'm very busy, my hands are full, I got a lot going on. I'm going to trust you, I'm going to give you the responsibility to go and collect that payment. Don't disappoint me. Go straight there, get the money and come back. Don't spend the money, don't stop to do anything with the money, just come right back. Please come right back, and he talks about how he emphasized to me, don't get distracted because then if I have to come looking for you, I have to drop everything else I'm doing and that's a pain. I don't have time for that. I, wouldn't even, I don't even like sending you out, but I got no other choice, so go. So he says, I was going there. I passed by a Christian, like if you will, a monastery. I passed by a church, like a Christian monastery where they were worshiping and they were praying. فَسَمِعْتُ أَصْوَاتَهُمْ فِيمَا وَهُمْ يُصَلُّونَ And I heard them praying and worshipping. وَكُنْتُ لَا أَدْرِي مَا أَمْرُ النَّاسِ And I didn't know what's up with these people. And so, فَلَمَّا سَمِعْتُ أَصْوَاتَهُمْ دَخَلْتُ عَلَيْهِمْ I entered in, أَنْظُرُ مَا يَصْنَعُونَ And I started watching them. فَلَمَّا رَأَيْتُهُمْ أَعْجَبَتْنِي صَلَاتُهُمْ When I saw them praying, I was, I was amazed by it. I was amazed by it. And he said, وَرَغِبْتُ فِي أَمْرِهِمْ And I liked what they were doing. وَقُلْتُ هَذَا وَاللَّهِ خَيْرٌ مِّنَ الدِّينَ الَّذِينَ نَحْنُ عَلَيْهِ That their religion is better than the religion that we practice. And he said that I stayed with them until evening time. And finally, when they finished, I asked them, أَيْنَ أَصْلُ هَذَا الدِّينَ Where did you learn this from? So he said, بِشَّام from the بِلَادُ الشَّام from the Syrian region, that's where we got it from. So I finally went back to my father. I picked up the payment and I went back to my father. When I went back there, I found that my father was already out and about running around looking for me. And he said that, where were you? I told you not to get lost. I told you not to get caught up in something. You ruined my whole day. So he said, I told my father, I passed by some people who were worshiping in their little place of worship and it was amazing. And I stayed with them. And what they do is a lot better than what we do. And he said that, فَخَافَنِي My father, he kind of scared me. You know, he not like scared me, meaning either he frightened me, either he threatened me, he got upset with me, or he frightened me in regards to these people, tried to frighten me. And he said, no, 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 you're going to practice the religion of your forefathers, I don't want to hear this nonsense, absolutely not. And he put kind of like a shackle around my leg, around my foot, and he basically chained me up in the house. He confined me to the home. 
So I sent a message to those same people that I had met worshiping there, that if you hear about some people who are going to be traveling to Asham or who are coming from Asham and are going to be going back to Asham, let me know. Until finally some businessmen came from Asham and, I, and, I, and they sent me the message that some people from Asham have come. So I said, okay, the day that they are heading back to Asham, let me know. Send me another message. So when that day finally arrived that they were going to be leaving back to Asham, they sent me the message. I picked the lock of the chain that my father had chained me up in and I ran away from home. And I joined up with these businessmen. I had a little bit of money. I gave it to them, said, please take me with you. And they took me back to Asham. When I got there, I asked for who was the most pious, righteous man, the most knowledgeable about this religion, this new religion that I wanted to learn, Christianity. And they told me about a man. So I went there and I asked him, can I live with you? Can I learn from you? Can I worship with you? He's like, sure, but you gotta help me out. You gotta work with me. You gotta work for me and that's fine. So I said, okay. He says, the problem is that I found out that this guy was like the most terrible human being alive. He used to collect money from people saying it was for charity, for donation. And then he used to hoard all this money himself and he buried it behind the monastery, behind the church. And he would bury all of that. And he was hoarding all this money for himself. And I used to see him doing it. And I couldn't take it anymore. I couldn't tolerate it anymore. So finally, I went to the people and I said, Hey, by the way, you know this guy that you give all the money to? This priest right here? Yeah, he takes all your money and he keeps it for himself. He doesn't give it to no poor people. So he said they stormed in there and, they, and I showed him where the money was and they dug up the money and they found all the gold and all the silver buried there. So then they took this guy and they said that I swear to God, nobody's going to bury this guy. And they basically hung him up. They hung him, they killed him, and they strung him up as an example. And nobody buried him. They left their bo his body there to just rot, to make an example out of him. Now they needed to replace him with another priest. So they found another priest. When they found this other priest, then Salman al-Farsi says he turned out to be the most amazing person I ever knew in my entire life. He was remarkable. He was just absolutely amazing. I learned so much from him. He was honest. He was trustworthy. And I stayed with him and I learned from him and I benefited from him until the time came when he was dying. So I sat by him by his deathbed and I said, I learned so much from you. But I experienced some bad company before you. Tell me about somebody who I can go to who's just like you. So he told me, okay, this and this and this in such place you'll find somebody. Go to him, he's a good guy. You can trust him. So I went to that person and I found him to be one of the best people I'd ever met and I learned from him, a priest. I worshiped with him, I learned from him. I was, as a, I was a student and his follower and I stayed with him until he was about to die. And then I asked him, I said, please direct me to somebody else that I can study with after you. And he directed me to another person and I went to that person and he literally says, this continued to happen until three or four different priests that I went to and they would send me to somebody else that they said I could trust until I was with the last guy that I was with and in a place named Amuria, and I stayed with him until he was about to die and same thing I asked him you know who can I go to and he said that there's nobody else left for you to go to there's nobody else that I can recommend for you to go to nobody else that's left but instead what you need to do now is you need to go to a very specific land and he described the area. He said it's in this region. And he described, he told, pointed me in the direction of Hijaz, Arabia. And he said, you go there to the place where they farm and they do agriculture, particularly date palms and date trees. I don't know the name of the place, but that's what it's going to look like. You go there. And you'll find the people there that are mostly idol worshipping. 
and you go and you wait there. Because the prophet of the last time is about to come. And when this prophet of the last time will come, let me tell you about some signs about him. Alamatun la takhfa. Some signs that cannot be hidden. Ya'kulul hadiyya. He will accept gifts. Wala ya'kulul sadaqa. But he will not take anything from charity for himself. He will not consume, he will not eat any type of charity. Bayna katafayhi khatamun nubuwa. Between his shoulder blades, you will see the seal of prophethood. فَإِنْ إِسْتَطَعْتَ أَنْ تَلْحَقَ بِتِلْكَ الْبِلَادِ فَفْعَلْ And so if you can go to this place that I'm describing, go there and stay there until this Prophet comes to that place. He will migrate to this place and go and wait there for him. ثُمَّ مَاتَ وَغُيِّبَ And he said that this priest also died. And I sat there waiting, waiting, waiting until some businessmen came. And I had a little bit of money and I asked them, can you take me with you? So they said, sure. And they took me with me, they took me with them until they got to a place and a point near Arabia and there Zolamuni. They did something terrible to me. They basically locked me up, shackled me up. I didn't have any support, anything. No defense, I was in the middle of these people. They shackled me up, they locked me up and they basically sold me off as a slave in the marketplace. And I got sold as a slave. And, uh, and I was sold to a person who lived a little bit outside of Medina. Until one day, the guy who had bought me, his cousin came to him, and he sold me to his cousin, and his cousin was from the Jews of Banu Quraidha, who were Medinan Jews. And he took me to Medina. And he said, no sooner did I arrive in Medina, and I looked around, and I knew I was where I needed to be. I recognized, and I said, yes. This is where I need to be. So I was okay. I was content. Even though I was in slavery, wrongfully, but I was content because I was where I needed to be. And he says, one day, I was up in the trees, kind of like fixing and cutting and mending, you know, doing, taking care of the trees, basically doing lawn work, landscaping work. I was up in the trees working, and one of the guy who owned me now, one of his, one of his cousins comes to him and says that, man, something amazing has happened. Uh, or, or rather the expression that he used me is basically said that we might be in some trouble. Something big is happening. We might be in some trouble. And he says, what's going on? And he says that all these Arabs, all these idol worshippers, all these Arabs, Aus and Khazraj, they're all gathering outside of Medina at the place of Quba. Because a man has come there who claims to be a prophet. And they've all gone out there to welcome him and wait for him and go and meet him. And he said, as soon as I heard that, I almost fell out of the tree. Like I was so, I, I, it caught me off guard, it shocked me, I almost fell out of the tree. And he says, I got down and I started saying, Mada qulta, mada qulta, what'd you say, what'd you say? Until he said that my owner, he slapped me really hard and he said, get back to work, none of your business. What do you want to talk to him for? Get back to work. So he said, okay, I waited some time. And I had a, I scound, you know, scavenged up a little bit of money that I could. And I went outside of Medina to the place of Quba and I saw the Prophet And I bought some stuff like some fruits or something. And I went and I presented it to the Prophet and I said, this is sadaqah. And I know that you have some poor people with you that are more need, in need of this than I am. So this is some charity, some sadaqah. And he said, I kind of went at a distance and I stood there and I watched until I saw him call some of the sahaba, the poor sahaba, and he gave them the sadaqah and he gave it all of them to them and he didn't eat any of it himself. So then he said, I had to go back and I had to, I was a slave, so I tried to gather a few pennies here and there. 
And quite a few weeks went by until I got enough together to be able to buy some more fruits. By that time the Prophet was in Medina. And I went to him again. And I said that last time I came and I gave you something, I, I saw that you didn't eat anything from it because it was sadaqah. So here's a gift to you. So he said, I saw that he took one himself and he gave the rest off to everybody around him and he ate it himself and he shared it with everybody. So he said, okay. He says, then I left. I came back after a day or two. And this time when I came back, I met him, I said salam to, uh, you know, I greeted him, I met him, whatnot. And then I kind of went around and sat kind of behind him. And I saw that he was wearing two cloths. He had one tied around his lower, like his waist, like a lower garment, and he had one upper garment. And I kept sitting there like, you know, trying to catch some type of an angle to see the mark of prophethood between his shoulder blades. I kept trying to look and see, and until the Prophet eventually noticed me acting kind of funny back there. So the Prophet said, I know what you want to see. And the Prophet you know, dropped kind of the, the, the cloth that he had on his upper, upper body. He kind of dropped it down to where I could see the seal of prophethood on his back. And he said, no sooner did I see it, I ran up to the Prophet and I hugged him from behind. And he says that I kissed the mark of prophethood on his back. And he said, I started to cry. That I've spent decades, I've spent my life searching for you. I've tolerated slavery because I was waiting for you. I finally found you. And I accepted Islam. And then the story of Salman Farsi radiallahu anhu goes on to um, talk about I'll talk about this at a later time, inshallah. It's time for Salat al-Isha, so we need to break. And we'll continue on with the story, inshallah, at a later time. But these are some of the stories that talk about the coming of the Prophet and how people were waiting and anticipating the coming of the Prophet In next week's session, we'll talk about something very interesting. Some of the very, again, miraculous... Um, out of the ordinary events that started happening when the time of the Prophet ﷺ came near, where idols were talking and idols were speaking. We'll talk about some of that, and then we'll also talk about how the Prophet ﷺ started to develop the habit of going up and meditating in the cave of Hira. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant his love for Allah and his messenger. Subhanallah wa bihamdihi, subhanakallah wa bihamdik, nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta, nasakhfiruka wa natubu ilaik. Assalamu alaikum.